Well, we've been talking about this, this series of overflow. I've, been, I've loved it, man. It's been, I just, I'm just, in my life, I'm just Lord more. As I, I told you guys when I'm preaching, I'm just taking you for the journey with me. And, and so uh, last week, I just was chewing those things all week long. And, um, and one thing I didn't get to tell you last week, I'll kind of share a little bit today, was is an example of that overflow. Today, we're going to talk about how we, how we store up or block up the overflow in our life, some, some impediments, some things that don't allow us to overflow uh, from our heart like we need to. And so um, before we do that, let's just pray and ask God just to show us his word and, and direct us. Lord, we love you. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful, Lord. And I just, just step back for a second and I'd be so set on my agenda. I just say thank you. Lord, thank you for what you did with Ryan. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. That's faithfulness, Lord. That when we pray, sometimes we forget, God, that, that you don't answer right away. But, Lord, you always, always know what we need. I'm, I'm so thankful for that. I'm thankful, Lord, for these two beautiful children, God, that you've brought into our family, Lord, and into their family. That we can lift up and honor you, Lord. Thank you for, thank you for the people that are here today. And, and I pray that we all receive, God, this word. Lord, open our hearts. Lord, we want to be more like you, but we want to be closer to you. God, Paul was talking about that. When he said, Lord, I forsake everything, everything, God, I count as dung, Lord. If I could just have you, if I could just have the knowledge of Christ, the, the relationship, that fellowship, the communion. Lord, I pray today that's exactly what happens, Lord, as we become closer to you in devotion. Oh, Lord, search Scott Brandon out. Lord, you, you know the real me. You know the me you cleaned up, the me you renewed and redeemed. And so, Lord, I just pray again, search my heart, oh, Lord. If there be anything, God, that would stop the flow that you want to use through my life, Lord, I pray you would remove it from me. And allow my devotion, God, to be stronger than it's, it's ever been before. And I pray, God, that uh, for my friends today, that you do the same thing. Open our eyes, let us see your word in Jesus, let me pray. Amen. So, so last week we talked about Solomon, and man, uh, I'm not, last week we talked about Solomon. This we're going to talk about Solomon. Last week we talked about the overflow, and how the overflow, right, is, I don't know if y'all have thought about your week, but um, the overflow simply is this, is that so long as we stay under Christ, right, we bring everything else in the proper alignment, all we have to do is stay under his flow. He overflows us, which flows into our marriages, or our families, our church, you know, into our city, and so on throughout the world. And, but there is a divine order there. And, and, and matter of fact, next month I'm going to be uh, starting a, a marriage series um, I know some of y'all may be all right. Let me just tell you right now, I'm fine with your kids being in here. It's up to you. Uh, I'm not a real kind of conceal what I have to say kind of guy. I just kind of say it, you know. Uh, and so, I, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be up here saying things that are absolutely crude and derogatory uh, in, a, in an explicit way. But I'm just going to be straight with you as I talk about marriage. And so, you know, you decide if you want your kids in here for that. That's up to you. Uh, but I'm looking forward to talking about marriage next, next month because that's another humongous aspect in terms of God using our life to impact this world. The marriage is the basic building block of relationships, and that's why the enemy is so strong after that, to, to go after that relationship. Uh, and so we want to be talking about that next week. But I want to look at this week, 
how Solomon's life experienced the overflow. When you look at Solomon's life, it's really incredible because uh, you, you know where he came from. And, and uh, he, King David was his father, and uh, that wasn't a great ordeal. Uh, you know, Bathsheba was his mom uh, that, uh, that David had um, murdered her husband so he could have her. And so it, it wasn't a great situation, what we would call a functional family. It's kind of dysfunctional. Uh, but here he comes to his rise uh, to the throne, and as he does, he, what I love is that he comes before the Lord, and the Lord appears to him and says, Solomon, what would you want? You know, ask. And he, he, the Lord didn't say, the Lord didn't say, you could, ask, you could ask this, this, or that. He said, just ask what you want. What would you have me do for you? And Solomon says, because you are so great of a God, and these are so great of a people, Lord, give me wisdom that I might govern your people and execute righteousness and justice to bring honor and glory to your name. That's how you pray to God. And the Lord said, because you've asked these things and not asked to increase your wealth or to increase your kingdom or none of those things, I'll give you this plus all of the things that other men would have asked for. And so Solomon became a great, great man. Wisdom and riches were the overflow of Solomon's devotion to God. We saw that. And not only that, but the fruit of those blessings uh, impacted the whole kingdom. I mean, even the prostitutes in Israel were blessed by the wisdom and overflow of Solomon's devotion to God. Everyone was impacted. Matter of fact, um, his reputation was so far and so great that Queen Sheba, 1,500 miles south down from Ethiopia, as as some uh, theologians uh, uh, believe, that she came, she heard his reputation, and she came to Israel because she heard that there was nothing that he couldn't speak to, that he, he was wise beyond normal man's ability. And so she came, uh, she came to there, and, and she had a lot of, as a matter of fact, when I did some research, it says that, that Ethiopia during those times were really, they really prized themselves in possessing the largest amount of riddles. I think one particular tablet had over 6,000 riddles that had been unanswered by man uh, at that time that she, maybe she had on her heart. Maybe she had some bigger things. But she came to seek his wisdom. And when she did, she said, he answered everything I asked him and more. Matter of fact, one of the things she said was as she walked through the temple that he created for God, she says, the food of his table, the seating of his officials, and the attendance of his servants, and their clothing, his cupbearers, their clothing, and his burnt offerings that he offered at the house of the Lord. <coughs> After that, there was no breath in her. Y'all ever had uh, an experience where you just had no breath in you? Men, yes. Shake your head. Men, yes. Yes. The first time I laid eyes on her, that was no breath, right? I really tried to help you guys. I just don't know if y'all really care about y'all's marriage. It's okay. And then in 1 Kings 10, 8, you, you know Solomon was blessed because she says, happy are your wives. Now, now, you don't get there because you read a couple self-help books. He was in the anointing of the Lord and there was an overflow of his devotion into his wives because happy were his wives, right? Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And Pastor Randy are going to heaven. It's great. But, <laughs> but as I read into this story a little bit more, I, I realized that Queen Sheba, she left and went back to Ethiopia. And there was a, 
uh, there was a, a huge change in Ethiopia uh, in terms of kingdom. Now, um, in the Kabra Nagast is a 14th century piece of literature that was found that explains the very roots of the Solomonic dynasty in Ethiopia. They trace it all the way back to when Queen Sheba left Solomon and came back down and established a Solomonic dynasty in Ethiopia. That was the time that Ethiopia claims they began to worship Yahweh, Judaism, in Ethiopia. Now, in case you don't know, Ethiopia is surrounded by uh, Muslim beliefs. And, of course, Muslim beliefs wasn't that far back during the day of um, Solomon. But, but they practiced Judaism all the way up until the 4th century. That's a long time. That's almost, uh, almost a, a thousand years by the time it, it, it came into its kingdom and then it was converted into Christianity, which is in 4th century A.D. That's, that's a, long, a very long time. So in 4th century A.D., they were, they were converted into Christianity, although most of the country around them was, is, uh, was Muslim. And so uh, through all of that, they maintained their heritage. They maintained power and ec- uh, economy. Uh, matter of fact, Ethiopia is, is, is known to be one of the oldest countries in the world because of their ability to trace so far back. And so all of this is attributed to the Solomonic dynasty. And that Solomonic dynasty, that's, that's fun to say, Solomonic dynasty, just in case you want to know why I'm saying it so much. In 1974 is when it ended. Now, think about that for a second. From around 800 B.C. to 1974, there was an impact of seeing a man who was fully devoted to God. That overflow is powerful. And you may say, Pastor Scott, that was King Solomon. Who's like King Solomon? I'm going to tell you what, it has nothing to do with King Solomon had everything to do with the Lord that was connected to King Solomon. And his overflow through one man who submitted to him and said, Lord, whatever you ask me to do, at whatever scale you want me to do it, that will I do. And, and the word says that, it says that the Lord, he searches to and fro, he's running to and fro, that he might find someone that he can show himself strong to. And so today as we as we see that example of Solomon, I want you to understand is that, that no matter where you're at, the Lord is looking for you to say, can I show myself strong to you? And I don't know about you, but, but maybe, maybe your life hasn't looked the greatest. Maybe it hasn't come from the, the greatest lineage. Maybe like Solomon, you had some dysfunction in your life, or maybe you had multi-generational dysfunction, but the Lord doesn't care. It doesn't make a difference to him. All the Lord is wanting to know is what are you going to do about the days going forward? And so, so I, I want you to be encouraged by that. But at the same time, too, I, I want to bring some reality to the picture. Because King Solomon did not fare as well as the Ethiopian counterparts that we might have read. Let me just bring some other context to this Ethiopia, which could be a myth. They believe that the reason why the Solomonic dynasty started was because Solomon gave the Ark of the Covenant to the Ethiopians. Now, I can tell you that was not what Solomon's going to do. So that's, that's a bit of a myth. Uh, you can chase those rabbits down on your own. I don't have time to do that. But obviously, usually when things get old, you start to, uh, well, it's not the Bible, so you can't trust it 100%. But what we do know is that 
there was a great impact that we can even prove today. But what I want to do is I want to look at Solomon's life because Solomon's life didn't produce the same thing as what we see over in, in Ethiopia. Solomon's life produced a lot of grandeur and a lot of impact. In fact, it was during this time that we saw really the promise of God being fully fulfilled to Israel like he said he would do. you got to think about it. Abraham shows up, and there's nothing but desert and sand. And now out of nowhere, what you see is Solomon is the greatest of all kings. He's the greatest of all men. Here's what it says. Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom, and all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God had put into his mind. That, that's, that's big. That's big. And, and then he was so prosperous. It says, and the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone, as stone. And he made clear and cedar um, as plentiful and, uh, as the sycamores in Shalaf. The other one says this, and he ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines to the border of Egypt. So he had all this possession, he had all this money, and he had all of this wisdom that he was the richest man and the wisest man that drew breath during his day. Wow, that's, that's pretty huge to say. So how in the world... Does it turn from that to you have become guilty by the blood that you have shed and defiled by the idols that you have made and you have brought your days near the appointed time of your years has come. Therefore, I have made you a reproach to the nations and a mockery to all countries. Those who are near and those who are far from you will mock you. Your name is defiled. You are full of tumult. How do you go from that to that? How, 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 how is it that, that you, have God's, you have God's favor so great in your life that the overflow ripples throughout the borders of humanity to, to the place that the Lord says when they pass by, they hiss and snicker and whistle and say, look at them. They're a reproach on their God and their king. So what happened? Let's read the turning point. 1 Kings 11, 1 through 8. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. You might just highlight that whole thing right there and say, oh, okay, let's go home. Along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord has said to the people of Israel, this is what the Lord said, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. This is the Lord saying this. He's not saying Quite possibly, or perhaps, or by chance, he says, for surely they will. But notice the response. Solomon clung to these in love. He clung to them. He had 700 wives who were princes and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of, his David, uh, the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That phrase is very important because the Lord uses that in Scripture when he is denoting in the, in the, the lineage of Judah whether that king was good or bad. It would say that this king was 
did good or did evil in the sight of the Lord. And that's how we know the reputation of that king. And the Lord is using this same descriptor about King Solomon. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord. Notice it was holy. It's partial obedience, which is disobedience, as David his father had done. And then Solomon built a high place for Kamash, abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites on the mountain east of Jerusalem. And so he did for all his foreign wives who made offerings and sacrifices to their gods. I mean, I just don't get that. How do you go? <laughs> How do you go from being the one guy every other guy probably is envying? I don't know that I really envied 700 wives. I mean, just to be honest, that's a lot of care. <laughs> it's a lot of care. I, I'm going to go ahead. Um, it's, a, it's a lot. And so what I want you to know is that in that moment, Solomon, he wasn't deceived. His life didn't come to a place where he was deceived by truth. Solomon wrote everything we know typically about wisdom. He wrote almost all of the wisdom literature. And so Solomon was very, very aware, very inclined and in tune to his situation. So what would cause his heart to turn to such a way that he would no longer allow the, the Lord to use him and to overflow his life in such that way? And I would give you three conditions of his heart today. That I want us to look at our heart and make sure we don't have these heart conditions. Because I believe these things are not only progressive, but I think these things sometimes slip in under the radar. That's how they're supposed to work. The first one is just apathy. The second one is tolerance. And the third one is defiance. And that's how it works. It's apathy, and then it's tolerance, and then it's defiance. And disobedience gets mixed in there along the way. So the first one is apathy. Let me, let me just say this. Sometimes apathy feels a bit crude, a bit cold. So, you know, to soften you up to some other things that you might be doing, let me say this. Insensitivity, detachment, disinterest, a dispassion, or a half-heartedness towards your relationship with God. That's what we call apathy. Solomon says in his wisdom in Proverbs 8, 17 through 18, he says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. Notice here that Solomon even says that riches and honor, enduring wealth and righteousness are with me if you seek me. Seek me. Notice this as well, is that, that um, man, I, I, all throughout Scripture, we don't have time today, but all throughout Scripture, this word seek has a different connotation to it. So I begin to look into the word seek and the word sarah means this in Hebrew. It means to look early in the morning. To look early in the morning. He says, if you'll look early in the morning. Some of you guys who don't wake up in the morning time just said, oh, man, <laughs> that's not good. But let me tell you why looking early in the morning is important. What, what the word is trying to tell you is this, is that during the Hebrew times, when you looked early in the morning, you didn't have the busyness of life distracting you. You had freedom from the children, from the family responsibilities in the morning. You were free from those things, and you were able to be wholly fixated upon God. Because to be honest, right now in our culture, it is difficult 
to get away from anything and be wholly fixated upon God because we know the business of life is waiting for us and we know we can't be distraction free. So when I read that scripture all around again, here's what I see the Lord telling me today and you if you're a late night person who seeks the Lord. He says this, I love those who love me and those who make a space without threat of distraction uninterrupted by the busyness of life and free to fix their thoughts on me diligently find me and that's my paraphrase that's not in the word don't go looking for it riches and honor are with me enduring wealth and righteousness you see you and I we have to make sure that happens you have to make sure that we're in a place that the busyness of life doesn't creep in because it will that, that, we, that we're not we're in a place where distraction is not there because it will I, I love my technology, and I love reading the Word on my technology because I love to drill down and research, but it is, it is a curse as much as it is a blessing. And I, I got all kinds of apps and programs I use to block out the world, you know, so I can use my, my, my technology during my study time. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard to fixate my mind on God. I do that with a pen and pencil so that way as things come into my mind, I'm just writing, get things out of my mind. I'm trying to understand. I'm trying to hear his voice, but life creeps in on me. And if I don't pay attention, I too will follow this lack of, this ladder lack, basically what happens. There's a ladder that you and I, we, 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 we crawl down on and not realizing it, but it starts with not being able to find him early or find him where he's, he's not going to be interrupted as he's speaking to you because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and he does not force his way into your life. He asks you to open the door and invite him in. He does not compete. And so when we don't make sure this is priority, what we find is is in our life what we see in Solomon's life. And what I see in Solomon's life was, first off, was a lack of devotion. It's the first thing I saw was a lack of devotion. You don't get to where he's at, burning children and sacrifice. That's what happens when you build, uh, when you offer uh, sacrifices to Molech. Molech is a god of child sacrifice. That was happening. He built that high place for his wives. You don't get, you don't wake up one day and go, going to just, I'm going to, you know what, well, I need to build a child sacrifice altar. You don't, you don't wake up one day and do that. You, you, you move away. You lose your devotion. And so the first thing you do is you have a lack of devotion, which leads to the lack of overflow, which leads to a lack of influence in, your, in the lives of others, in your family, which leads to a lack of standard because no longer are you influencing. And so now you don't, you don't hold the standard no more. And so now you have a lack of standard. And a lack of standard leads to a lack of respect because we don't know where you're at. We shouldn't respect you. We don't know what you're, you're, you're holding to. And a lack of respect is a lack of authority. And a lack of authority is a lack of stability because no one is governing the situation. And all that leads to a place where there's now just a need to be met. And so what I want you to see is just that, is that we start with a lack of devotion, then on to overflow, influence, standard respect, authority, and then a lack of stability. And this is where his wives step in. Why? Because there was a need to be met. Why? Because there was no devotion. They should have been at least hovering off his devotion which is what we would call the overflow. But because he wasn't devoted to God, he didn't overflow into his marriages. I don't understand that, but marriage. 
which means he had no influence in his marriage, which means he had no standard in his marriage, which meant he had no respect in his marriage, which meant he had no uh, authority in his marriage, which meant, he, which, which meant he had no stability in his marriage. And that's why the, the need was to be met, because the wives were saying, where, where is my need for my spiritual leader to step up and lead me? Men, can I just talk to us for a second? I'm I'm trying to man bash today. Let's don't leave that need for them. Let's don't leave that need for them. That's our job. Our job is to create that stability. The Lord gave us the authority. He caused them to show them how to to respect us. That's not natural for them. That's that's something the the word commands. He commands us to love them. He commands them to, to respect us. And so these are our needs that we should be doing. What Solomon was not doing was, was what he was called to do, what he was anointed to do. And so, man, it's us. We're the ones that should be stepping up. And so my question next was this, is that how did he get to a place of no devotion? He knew the law, and which law did he not regard? Which one did he not respect? As I look down through the list of the law, I think, you know, there's, there's eight of them that deal with the don't do's. Thou shalt not do those things. Thou shalt not do those things. Eight of those. You know, worship other gods. You shouldn't do that. Bow down to idols. Take the Lord's name in vain. Kill. Adultery. Steal. Lie. Lie. Cheat. Uh, covet. Not cheat. Cheat's not one of those. That's, that's like, that's like 8.5. You know, that's somewhere in there. Covet. Those are the, the no's. But then if you look at the positive statements, because we can't not do something and pushes towards devotion. Devotion is going after something. It's not, it's not negating something in your life. You have to go after God in devotion. And so the other two positive statements are simply this. It's to honor your father and your mother, which is the only uh, commandment with a blessing. I don't feel like that was what helped his devotion to God. So the only thing that leaves that is simply this, is to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so I'm thinking, Lord, how was this going to equate to his devotion because I know, Lord, I know that simply showing up on Sunday morning doesn't determine my devotion. And the Lord said, absolutely, Scott. Going to church doesn't dictate your devotion, but it does indicate your devotion. And so I got to be thinking in my mind, if I'm Solomon, why would I quit going to church? I just built an incredible temple, an incredible temple. Man, this is the most, this is the thing that, 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 that we as, as Jews have been looking for our whole entire life. Why would I not want to get up and go into the house of the Lord? I thought, you know, if I'm Solomon, maybe I wake up and I see that incredible temple and I say, wow, man, I've been working hard. <laughs> Look how beautiful that thing is. Look how great that thing is. Lord, I'm tired. I've been doing your work. <laughs> I've been doing your will. I just need a break. I just need a break. I can't go. I can't go not today. We're going to skip out today. And you know what? I think, is it all right to skip church? I think it's all right every now and then. I was raised in church my whole life, and the other time I wasn't in life, I was beat while I was in church. I was being raised or I was being beat, but both times I was in church. That's how it was. And so, so as I'm in church, I understand one thing, is that there are times that come up. There are regularities that come up. But what I understand about what, 
what I'm seeing scripture here and what the Lord was impressed upon my heart to simply say was this, is that, that devotion is not dictated by your church or your honoring of the Sabbath, but it is an indication. It's, it's like this. We're talking about heart conditions, right? So, you know, you, you put your two fingers here, right, and you, you catch that pulse. Does that make sense? And, you know, sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't, you know. And, and you, there, you're there and you, you catch that pulse. It's there. I know I'm alive. I, feel, I can feel it. And so, there, there it is. I caught it. All right. So, and what I notice is simply this. It, it's pretty consistent. That's a good thing, right? Right, Doc? It's, a, it's, pretty, it's, it's pretty good. But I don't always catch a pulse, you know, every now and then. I feel like it misses sometimes. Or maybe I just don't feel it. But I'm not concerned. I'm not concerned. Because most of the time, I feel the pulse. Is that how it is with you? I'm not worried. If it, if it misses one time, I'm not worried about that. But now you miss a couple times, and it's, it's consistent. Oh, I'm a bit worried. You know, like, and then, and then all of a sudden my Apple Watch is telling me go to the hospital, you know. And so it's, it's important. And so what I'm saying is simply this, is that my pulse is not dictating my health. It's not, right? It's not doing that. It's telling me what? You might want to pay attention to your heart, Scott. You might want to look at your heart. It's, it's indicating my health. It's indicating my health. And so what it's saying is simply this, is that it's a pulse. If, if the pulse is not acting correctly, if it's not functioning correctly, if it's not communicating directly, I need to go do some deeper searching in my heart. Does that make sense? I, I, I believe that if, if Solomon would have stopped and realized I'm not being faithful to the house of the Lord. It's not, it's not what's making me healthy, but it's an indicator that my heart might be falling away. My heart might be becoming apathetic. I might be half-hearted towards the law. I might be insensitive towards his presence. It's not the same to me anymore. And all of those things are simply saying this, check your heart. Check your heart. Because it's a slow process, church. It's a slow process, Nobody wakes up ready to sacrifice their kids in the fire the next morning. It's a slow process. We're talking about a godly man, a godly man whom God, who gave him everything he could ever want. The Lord does not give things to people if they are not righteously deserving of it. But he saw that Solomon was fit for it. And still yet somehow Solomon moved to a place so grotesque, so horrible, we would never even dawn the thought of. If Solomon can do it, the wisest man in the world, if Solomon can do it, Scott Brandon can do it. And you can do it too. We have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our hearts. We have to know that sin is crouching at our door. We have to know those things. Because if we do not, and we do not check our pulse, we must know this, is, is, is that we will be like Solomon. We'd be apathetic about it. Can I just stop for a second? This is the reason why, for me personally, when we ask you to fill out those connection cards, and you're like, oh, Pastor Caleb, why are you asking me to do those connection cards every week? I can tell you why. I can tell you why. I don't know where else to put my finger as your pastor. You understand what I'm saying? I don't know where else. Because here's what I want to know. Is do I need to call you up and say, let's go to the heart doctor? <laughs> Where you been? Where you been? You, you hear what I'm saying? Listen, my heart is not 
I'm not trying to guilt you in the church. I, I could care less about that. I've, I have suffered all the guilt that, that, that Christianity has to give to ask you to do something in the church. I've suffered all of it. I just know one thing. I care about where you're going. I care about where you're going. And, and, and if you've got kids, I really care a lot about what you're doing and, and what you're not doing because I know that my kids see everything that I don't do right. And the other day, I realized uh, there were some things in, in my daughter's life I said, oh, shucks, that's me. That's me right there. That's my problem. I did that because, I, because the first thing I saw, I was like, what in the world? I was thinking in my mind, what in the world? That ain't even right. And then I realized, oh, man, that's me. I did that. I showed her that. And so what I'm saying is, is that I care about your kids. But the only way I can care about and minister to your kids, because I can't take them out to lunch. I can't, I can't pour into them. I just know mom and dad. And so I want to make sure that your heart's good. So that's why filling out those little silly connection cards are so important. Because I'm just trying to check pulse. That's all it is. And if you do that for me, then I won't have Megan send those letters to you all the time, all right? <laughs> when she asked me, Pastor Scott, should I? Yes. Cindy says, yes, send those letters out. Send those letters out. Second thing is this. I know we're, we got to hurry. Second thing is this, is that the, the condition of his heart eventually led to a lack of tolerance. I'm sorry, it was, a, it was tolerance. It led to tolerance. He started tolerating other things. Proverbs 2, 1 through 6 says this, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for sight and insight, or insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Solomon clearly had forgotten what the fear of the Lord is. For had he remembered it, he would have not been so tolerable of other things in his life. Proverbs 8.13 says this, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. I don't see that in Solomon's life. We see this plainly as, as God addressed this issue of Molech and, and, and Chemosh, specifically these other gods. He says this, Leviticus 21-5, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or the, the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who gives any of his children to Molech, shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. I myself will set my face against that man and will cut him off from among his people because he has given one of his children to Molech to, my, uh, to make my sanctuary unclean and to profane my holy name. And if the people of the land do it all, close their eyes to that, that man when he gives one of his children to Molech, and do not put him to death, then I will set my face against the man and against his clan and will cut them off uh, from the, among the people, him and all who follow him in whoring after Molech. So this is a clear, clear, clear thing. But here's what I know, is that God addresses some other things in Leviticus too. Because I want to I condemn Solomon and say, Solomon, how could you tolerate child sacrifice? That children will be in place on a burnt, uh, how could you do that? Then I move right down into Leviticus and it says, If a man commits adultery with his wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulterer shall surely be put to death. But we watch that on TV. And then it says, If a man lies with a, man, a male as with a woman, 
Both of them have committed abomination. They should surely be put to death, and their blood is upon them. And we celebrate that day called Pride Day. And then it says, if a man lies with an animal, he shall surely be put to death, and you shall kill the animal. If a woman approaches any animal and lies with it, she shall, you shall kill the woman and the animal. They shall be surely put to death. Their blood is upon them. And that's coming. Just, just, it's coming, I promise you. And then, and then the other one is simply this. A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. But we have pastors who are, who are called pastors doing the very same thing. And, and it's all in toleration. It's all in toleration. So before I just threw my spear at Solomon, I had to ask myself, Scott, have you, have you acclimated to your culture? Have you become okay with it? Have you looked at it and went, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know what I think? I think Solomon would have liked it here in America. Because Solomon, he'd fit right in. Solomon lost the fear of God like we have. We too have become tolerant for fear of being persecuted. I don't want people to look at me and, and, and judge me differently, you know? Do you know what the word toleration means? Y'all mind if I just preach a little bit this morning? The word toleration, the root word of toleration, tall, means to lift, to raise, upward. The word extal means to lift up from, to raise up from, to set on high from. We get this as we extol the Lord, right? Extal. The word tolerare is a French word. It means to endure, to sustain, to support, or to suffer, to bear up under hardship. And toleration is a compound of these words, which simply means together to lift up while suffering, to raise up, to sit on high with great fortitude and forbearance. Do you hear what toleration is saying? To allow something else to be set up on high and raised up while you suffer for it. While you bear it up. Because you know why? Because you know it's not right. And so I tolerate it. When I tolerate it, I'm suffering on the inside because I'm allowing something else to be set up on high when I know only one thing should be set up on high. And the thing that convicts my spirit is the Holy Spirit saying, there shall be no other gods before me. And when I read through all of Chronicles, what I find is the good kings went through the high places tearing down idols and ripping apart the priests. That's what the good, the good kings did. So I asked myself, what does that look like? Matter of fact, here's a picture. You got that picture of the Mount of Olives? This is a, a picture of the Mount of Olives looking from the Temple Mount, all right, the temple. Now, at the temple is where the house of the Lord was. The Mount of Olives is where child sacrifice was happening. But I want you to understand and visualize, imagine walking out as going to worship the Lord and looking over there at a place higher than the temple of God and seeing another God being worshipped. And every day, this is what Israel did. As they walked into the house of God, they looked out and saw another God lifted up higher than theirs. This is problematic. But somehow Israel became okay with it. For three to four hundred years until Josiah finally came and said, enough of it. I'm tearing it all down. Crush it. Make it like dust. Throw it in the river and make everybody drink it. My question is, is Lord, if that spirit of Josiah is not in me, bring it. Let me charge that hill. Let me crush that God. Let me grind it 
and give it to everyone to remind them that we should never allow ourselves to be so seduced by culture and comfort that we would allow any other thing to be lifted up higher than my God. We are not tolerated. Because what I know about toleration is that toleration leads to participation always. Always. It always does. You know, we can need some, there's some nice pagans out there. They're nice. They just want their crops to grow too. They just want rain to fall too. They're not trying to hurt nobody. They want us to be happy and love each other. It's okay. (laughs) I read a church leader said, it's only through Christ that a person, whether they are a Brahman, that's uh, a follower of Brahman is a Hinduist, a, a Buddhist, a Mohammedan, can receive the light of grace when reading their own sacred text. You hear that? It's only through the Christ that a person can find the light of grace as they read their own scriptures, not the Bible. There is an idea that somehow Christianity is embraced polytheism. Polytheism is the belief that you can worship many gods. Can I tell you, you cannot get to Christ but one way. No, let me tell you this. All paths do lead to God. I will tell you that. They got that right. All paths do lead to God. But what happens when you get there is going to be dependent on what you knew to be the truth as Christ bore witness to here on this earth. And so, yes, I agree with you that all paths do lead to God. But I pray that your path is the same way my path is going to end. That is in happiness and love and in presence and communion with the Lord evermore and not with that man who deceives you here on earth with a false truth. A universality that all men will be saved is not true. Because that leads you to a place that hearts go that bear the same resemblance that Solomon did. And that is a heart of defiance. What troubles me is that I don't see anywhere in Scripture that Solomon repented. And I'm not judging him. I don't know. But it troubles me that all of Solomon did in his old age, I never saw him repent. That worries me. That worries me. It makes me look harder at my life. That a man can be so close to God and so blessed by God, but yet we, we yet to see him repent. I, don't, I hope that my heart would never be in a place. God, help me. Lord, take my life, take my family, take everything I own, but never let me get to a place where my heart is defiant of you. Because defiance doesn't come so quick. Matter of fact, let's just read what he says concerning defiance. Or how we get there. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14 says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I wonder if Solomon had that in mind when he remembered the commandments he failed to keep concerning even just the kings. I'll summarize it for you. There's about uh, five particular things that, that was written for kings of Israel that they were not supposed to do. Cody, if you would bring your team back. Here's the first thing. Kings were not supposed to acquire many horses or order people to return to Egypt for horses because the Lord says if you do, you would, you would, you would tempt my people to return back to their land of captivity from which I brought them from. 
Don't do that as a king. First Kings 10, 28. And Solomon imported import of horses was from Egypt and Q. The king's traders received from Q at a price. So he did what, that which he wasn't supposed to. The other thing was he was not, to ha- he was not supposed to have many wives. <laughs> Lest his heart turn away. He had 700 wives and princesses and 300 concubines. And his heart turned away. He was not supposed to acquire excessive silver and gold. And yet the king made silver and gold as common in Jerusalem as stone. His heart was to not be lifted up above his brothers. And yet King, Re- king Re- uh, Reboam, Rehoboam said, um, my father made your yoke heavy, but I will add to it. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. So somewhere along the way, Solomon saw himself to be so great that he was now making his brothers slaves. And that was against the rules. And then he, he was not supposed to turn from the commandments either to the left or to the right. And it says that Solomon did not wholly follow the Lord as his, his father did, as David, his father did. The only thing I did not find in scriptures where Solomon broke the commandments for kings was this one. It says, it says that a king shall write a copy of the law and read it all the days of his life so to fear the Lord his God. But somehow I don't think he did this either. Because if he had done this, then his devotion would have been strong with the Lord. He would have not grown a heart of apathy and he would not have grown a heart that had toleration in it. And he would have not eventually come to a place of defiance if he'd have stayed his mind on the word and stayed his heart in the presence of the Lord. You know what I really think? I really think this happened. I really think that for Solomon, whatever was trapping him, maybe it was pride. That was possible. I think at first, whatever he needed to believe, uh, he had to embrace dishonesty. Then deception. Then disdain. Then disobedience and then defiance. And I believe it's the same with you and I. At first, when we get caught and trapped, the sin, what happens is, is that first we're dishonest to ourselves. Right? That's what we do. And then we deceive others so that they'll believe the lie that we've already believed. And then we have this disdain towards authority telling us or standard telling us that it's a no as to what we can and cannot have. Until our justifications become so great that they permit us to be disobedient because now we can justify the disobedience of our heart. A little disobedience here, a little bit of disobedience there. Eventually we find ourselves that we're at a place of defiance and our heart is turned against God. So this morning, I honestly don't even know how to close in prayer because I know I feel the pressure I, I just, I just want to, I just wanted to be clear. I long for our church to be close, to be close, and He would come to you and say, "Just ask me. Just ask me." Josh is teaching a class on in the presence of the King. Uh, I want to know what it's like to walk into the presence of the King, and He say, "Scott." Just ask me. That's the kind of 
devotion I want with the Lord. That every, whatever he says is the overflow of my life. That my, my, my wife is blessed because of it. My kids are blessed because of it. My church is blessed because of it. My city is blessed because of it. That's what I want. But I also know that apathy waits for me. That tolerance is very clear, very evident in my life. And that defiance is waiting on me. And so this morning, I want to ask you is, where do you feel like you're at? Are you half-hearted? Or are you in the middle? Are you tolerating? Have you disobeyed a couple times? Disobeying sometimes is not doing the things you're not supposed to do, not doing those things. It's, sometimes it's not doing the things you're supposed to do, right, to do the things God's asked you to do. It's not saying, Lord, I didn't sin, I didn't do this, I didn't do all these things that are immoral and ethical or illegal, but you're simply saying sometimes disobedience is I didn't do what you asked me to do. Like when you asked me to go lay hands on that person and pray for them and let them know the Lord has said something to you. That's risky, but even when I don't respond, it's disobedience. When the Lord puts somebody up on my heart and I'm too busy to stop and pray for them, that's disobedience. When the Lord says, wake up, and I look at the clock and it's 3.31, I go, I'm going back to bed. The Lord says, that's disobedience. I want a time with you, Scott. And I want to know is, is, do you want time with the Lord? Do you really want an overflow? Do you really want an overflow? Because if you do, I want you to join me today. Stand with me. It's 11.34. I told the Lord this morning, I don't know if I'm going to make it to Lindo's in time, God. I need you to save me some meat and some chicken and some veggies. The Lord said, I got it. I got it. We got time. Bow your head with me. Father in heaven, this is the space, this is the time, this is the place that we cast all of ourselves on you. Oh God, I pray that we would press into you. We would press into you. Search our hearts. Oh God, search my heart, God. Search my heart, Lord. Find any, any familiar thing, God, that you know leads me to apathy, tolerance, defiance. Search my heart, oh God. And I pray you would do the same thing, Father, with my church family. Lord, we want to be connected to you. We want to be close to you. We pray, God, you would use this moment to move us from a place closer to you, wherever that might be. Lord, we just come where we are, we are right now. Lord, we start where we are right now. We pray that when we leave today, God, that we leave closer to you. Root out, God, our apathy. Root out our tolerance. Root out our defiance. I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Altars are open. Would you join me?